So I've, I've just seen entrepreneurs who have just neglected their bodies to the utmost degree. They've almost like traded, they've made this mutually exclusive agreement where they said, I can't have a healthy body if I have a successful business. My business takes up too much of my time, therefore I can't have a healthy body. When the reality is, is like a healthy body actually amplifies a very successful business. You've been able to make a successful or a business successful with a unhealthy body. Guess what's going to happen when you actually make your body healthy? Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast today. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. Hey guys, it's Chris. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Fort. I have Dan Go with me today, who's the CEO of High Performance Founder. We have a fascinating conversation today about the benefits of being healthy and why that makes entrepreneurs and uh, business people, higher performers in the workplace and the ripple effects that it has on its life. If you've listened to a few of the prior episodes on sleep and a few others, uh, you know that I'm interested in just how the body and being healthy impacts the work environment. And so Dan does an incredible job today of breaking down how to be healthy, some of the myths around health, some things that are true and aren't true, and ultimately why being healthy leads to not only a better life, but a better entrepreneurial journey. So thank you for continuing to join me on this journey, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Super stoked to be talking to you. I love it, man. Let's just start out with a little bit about kind of your story and what led you kind of to running your current business, High Performance Founder. Yeah, so way back then, um, I was pretty much a big screw up. So I was, I was like, I dropped out of high school out of uh, my four, out of the four children in our family, my parents are always like, I am so worried about this one, about you, about me, actually. And it was, it was pretty bad. I, I really had no motivation to do anything in my life. And then lo and behold, my dad started going to the gym, started working out. I was like, what is he, what is this guy doing? You know, he doesn't, he didn't even say anything to me. He just started going to the gym. So lo and behold, he gets a one month pass for free from the gym and he hands it down to my brother. My brother doesn't want it, so he hands it down to me. And my whole thing was, okay, I'm just playing video games, eating Cheetos on the couch. What's the worst thing that can happen? I'll, I'll probably see some some women there and some attractive women. That's probably the worst thing that will happen. <laughs> so I end up going to the gym. And I remember I was like reading all the bodybuilding magazines and taking their programs, doing everything horribly. And I did it for maybe about one week or one and a half weeks. And then I remember being in the change room and putting on my belt after a workout and I went down one notch, even though I hadn't changed my diet, even though I hadn't, even though I hadn't really exercised, <laughs> you know, I only exercised for a little bit. So after that, I was, I was, I was caught, I caught the bug. And then right after that, I started going pretty much like every single day. And, you know, this is about, you know, I was probably working out for about like maybe two years and I, I was actually working this corporate job and I hated it. I really hated this corporate job. <laughs> and 
I wanted to leave. And at the same time, I wanted to do something that was actually benefiting people instead of doing what I was doing in my job, which was, which I felt was putting people into more debt. I was selling loans. I was selling these like high interest loans to other people. I was feeling like crap every single time I went back home. So, so what happened was I had a choice. I was either going to, uh, move with the company to this far off town and have a commute of like 30, 45 minutes just to get there every single day, or I could just quit the job and just go and pursue something that I felt that I was super passionate about, which was fitness. So it was a hard decision, but then I ended up choosing fitness and then I became a personal trainer. I didn't know what I was doing. And for some reason, actually, because I was really passionate about what I was doing, the guy who was the manager, he actually bumped me up. He turned me from what we call like a master trainer to an elite trainer. And and then at that time, I was just like, this is so awesome. I just get to talk to people all day. I get to make their bodies better. I get to help them lose weight. I get to help them become better human beings. So after that, I was just hooked. And then um, right after the gym, I ended up opening up my own uh, my own kind of one-on-one training, uh, going to people's homes. I got sick of that a little bit. So I actually opened up, opened up my own gym. And this was more like a metabolic conditioning center, kind of like the CrossFit that you see uh, everyone doing. And this was way before CrossFit became a thing. And I, I did that for about like 11 years. And after I sold it, or actually, yeah, after I sold that gym business as December 2018, I was just like, okay, well, what am I going to do? You know, uh, I mean, this isn't enough money to make me go screw off from life forever and just be philanthropic, you know, go into philanthropy, <laughs> you know? So, so I was just asking myself, okay, who do I love serving? Who do, who do I love just interacting with on a daily basis? And to me, all of my friends were entrepreneurs and I would go to these masterminds and I would go to these, uh, all these events and it would just pain me to see my entrepreneur friends not care about their bodies whatsoever. They would just be either skinny fat or they would be just fat fat. And you would know that their bodies were actually holding them back from not only having a great business, but also having a great life. So because they were my friends and I was so stoked to just talk to them on an everyday basis, I chose to help primarily entrepreneurs uh, transform their bodies so they can actually help serve their customers and help serve their employees way better, but also to help them serve their families because anytime that anyone gets their body into better shape, it has a meta effect all over the, the rest of their lives. And we were talking about this before we even got on this podcast saying that you're on your journey right now and you're putting health as important. And I'm pretty sure that you're seeing that the healthier that you get, the more, you know, the more you feel better about your body, it actually has this great confidence and positive effect on the rest of your life, whether it comes to your business or your family. So that's kind of like how I fell into this whole uh, entrepreneur coach, fitness coaching aspect of things. And I want to get really into that, but I have one question that I don't know if it's unique to you or if it's a skill that you learned, but like the typical um, kind of fitness journey is everybody on January 1st gets in the gym and by February 1st, they're kind of tired of it. Can you speak to me about like why you think you got hooked and stayed with it and why most people don't stay with it? My mentality back then was just to go to the gym. You know, that's, in fact, if I crossed the door 
then I knew I made it. I can always walk back out. And I did that sometimes. You know, I just like, I made the steps so stupidly easy, which was just like, just walk through the gym door. And then if you don't want to do anything, then you could just walk out. If you, if you want to stay, then you can stay. And I just said to myself, I'm going to do this on pretty much like an everyday basis. And even though I'm in the gym and I'm not supposed to be working out, maybe I'll just do a couple stretches and I'll just jet. So I made the step as simple and as small as possible for myself to walk in there. And usually 90% of the time I walked in there, I'm like, okay, well, I'll do a rep. I'll do a rep here. I'll do a rep there. And then when I did a rep, I'm like, okay, well, I can do a little bit more, you know, just one rep, just one set. So you you end up doing a little bit more. And I feel like with momentum and I feel with doing anything, it's like you got to keep your steps super small. And, and that step has to be a critical driver to getting you to do what you want to do. You know, and, and for a lot of people, actually, I want to preface this by saying that I was out of shape before. And one of the first things that I did was I was aware of how out of shape I was. And I was very real with myself. I was like, you're running up and down the basketball court. And your man boobs are just like popping <laughs> up and down, like damn, something's got to change. So I, I was like just very hyper aware of my current situation and very real with myself. So I started my first, my first kind of like step towards getting in shape was doing something that I just loved to do that was physical. So that for me, that was playing basketball and that was it. So after playing basketball, I was like, okay, well, I, I could, maybe I could do like a little bit more. So that's when kind of like, I guess you could say like my, serendipity came and the one month pass came and then I found the gym and I was just like, ah, oh, start, start going there and start to kind of like just slowly fall in love with it. For me, it's like keep the step as small as possible. If it's for anyone, if they're trying to get like a workout or trying to get a workout habit going, just make it so that you walk through the threshold and that's it. And tell yourself, you can jet, you can leave, that's cool. But most likely you're probably going to stay. Yep. I love that. Just get started. When I think about health and 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 even on, you know, we met through Twitter, but when I when I just think about it in general, everybody kind of has their take on health. Some people say eat a ton of meat, some people say never eat meat. Some people say, you know, do strength training, somebody say do cardio. How do you think about what's important to you and how did you come to that conclusion? And and maybe the question is like what is your take on fitness and what matters most? Like what are you teaching? When I think about fitness, the first word that comes to mind is balance. And the reason I say that is because I've gone through periods of extreme transformation and I've gone through periods of extreme laziness. <laughs> and when it comes to fitness, it really is about trying to balance it with your lifestyle and not, it's not about making it your lifestyle. It's not about making it a hundred percent of who you are and what you do. To me, it's about trying to make the lifestyle as attuned to what you're trying to do health-wise as much as humanly possible. And a lot of times, even when I'm working with clients, a lot of times clients are just like, they just want it to be hard for some reason, right? They want the process to be hard. I was actually just having a conversation with one of my clients yesterday. And he was just like, Dan, you know, I've dropped like seven pounds in the last couple of weeks. And I feel like I just have to do some cardio. And I was just like, and I asked him, I was like, okay, why do you feel like you have to do cardio? Like, I, I just don't feel like I'm working hard enough. And I'm like, 
gross. That's the point of this whole system. Like you don't, you don't have to torture yourself. Like you don't, all you have to do is condense the steps down to a few simple things, get rid of the things that, that don't matter, get rid of the things that actually don't really move the needle as much as you think they do and really condense it down to the most simple, basic principles. And if we can do that, then you're going to lose weight, you're going to get in shape, and you're not going to stress yourself out like everyone else is trying to make this stuff happen. So even with this client, like we, we don't get our clients to do cardio. Some people say like, don't do cardio to burn fat and all that kind of stuff. And we tell them no cardio. Just get 9,000 or 8,000 and 10,000 steps, however, however which way you want to do it. And for him, it's like walking, pacing, meetings, and like all kinds of stuff. And again, to lift. And again, to just drink water. Again, to sleep. And again, to eat real foods. Right? Like these things are not, when I, when you think about them, they should be almost, they should be almost like, I guess you could say, it, 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 it almost makes too much sense to be doing these things. They should not be compromises on your, on your actual lifestyle and how you live. So I always like to think of things trying to fit your lifestyle, and I always like to think of things as balanced as possible. So you're not making yourself into Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're making this a part of your life that you can do every single day that is going to be low stress for you, and that is not going to feel like it's so hard that you're trying to push this rock over a hill. And are, and are those kind of simple things that you just, I think you just kind of went through them? It's sleep, eat real food, drink water you know, get 8,000 steps a day, do some type of workout. It almost sounds so simple that it, it couldn't be true. But what you're saying is like, just be like a caveman like we were, you know, for thousands of years and you'll end up being pretty healthy. Yeah, I, well, it is simple like that, but I'm not going to say that it is easy. Obviously, nothing worth having in this world is easy at all. You know, especially if someone's like, Especially if someone has like 20 or 30 pounds to lose and they're hearing this advice, they're like, is it really that easy? It's like, no, it's, it's not that easy, but it is that simple. So I have this, uh, I tell my clients this all the time. Like, you're really just paying me to make you sleep eight hours, eat real foods, drink maybe three liters to a gallon of water, uh, work out three times a week and walk. <laughs> and that's what the, and then they end up losing 30, 40, 50 pounds. Just doing this stuff like a lot of times we're just trying to get them back to status quo and that's what a lot of people just want they're not trying to be like usain bolt they're not trying to be like arnold schwarzenegger they're not trying to be like the most elite athlete in the face of the world all they got to do is just a few simple steps to get themselves into the shape that they want to get into into let's just say a healthy shape that is preventable from diseases if we can just get you there then you have so many more options. You could get ripped if you want at that point. You can be a power lifter and you can try to lift as much weight or you can just live a happy, healthy lifestyle with all these principles that's already set. So, you know, we, we try to make things as simplified as possible. And yes, it is that simple, but I do not want to confuse this with it being easy because there are so many things that are actually in the modern world right now. There's so many things that are fighting against us at this point. Number one is the prevalence of uh, hyperflatable processed foods. Uh, this is like comprising of about 80% of everyone's diet. Uh, the other thing is just social media, misinformation, the amount of information people have at their fingertips 
and the amount of stuff that people can actually say is abundant. So someone can, I literally heard someone say that drinking water does not hydrate you on Twitter. <laughs> and those, it, it, I was just, I was just like, excuse me, anyone can say anything, you know? So, so we do have a lot of stuff that is fighting against us. And as long as like for me, my whole process, at least for, at least for the beginning, when people are just starting out with me, it's to simplify this process and to hold them accountable to very small, simple steps. What are real foods to you? Like, what's your philosophy on diet? And does that depend on the outcome that somebody wants? Or is there kind of a one-size-fits-all diet that everybody should be on? I don't... Well, I think everyone's body is slightly different. And uh, there are some extreme cases where some people are like, they, they can't necessarily process carbs depending on what they... On how they've been treating their bodies for and the long the length of their lives. I have this one guy... Um, who is more fat adapted than carb adapted, right? And we wouldn't know that unless we actually had to track his macros and do a bunch of stuff and test out a bunch of things. There are some people who can take in more carbs than usual. I don't think that there should be a cookie cutter way, but I do feel like there are very simple principles to follow that will make things uh, easier for you, you know, in regards to that. So let's like go with the first one. You know, what exactly is a real food? So a real food to me is anything that has one ingredient. That's it, right? So if it's like, if you're cooking rice, it's only rice and maybe water, right? If it's a potato, you're boiling potatoes. If it's, if it's a fruit, it's a fruit. You know, if it's, uh, if it's a meat, then you're only having the steak. Anything that comes with, say, multiple ingredients, you know, that, that needs to be put through a process, that's something that I would not call technically a whole food that is something that's been through a process before. And like you said before, it's like you said the caveman days, it's like, Hey, if you couldn't find this when your great, great, great grandmother was, was, you know, was out there in the world, if she couldn't eat that food, then you probably, then you probably would not consider that to be a whole food. Right. So, so there's like a couple of ways in which people can apply this information. And I have, I have levels, right? This is just like, it's almost like martial arts. You know, it's like, you have white belt, you have blue belt, you have uh, purple belt, and you have black belt, which is like, you're pretty much a master at all of this kind of stuff. So like, with white belt, you know, it's it's like, you know, really keeping things simple. It's like, I will have a diet that is comprised of 90% whole foods, based on the definition that we gave them. And the 10% could be anything you want. Now, even before that, for white belts, they have to understand they have to understand how much food can go into their body in order to get them to the level of health that they want, whether that's a weight or whether that is a body fat percentage. They have to understand how much food their body can actually take, right? And this is something they actually have to know the cost of food as well. You know, we talk about calories a lot, and there are some people saying that calories don't matter. And I would not listen to them. There are some people that say calories are all that matter. And I would not listen to them either, right? The thing is, is that calories are just a representation of the cost of whatever food is going into your body. So people have to understand how much budget do I have inside of my body on an everyday basis? You know, these are, you could call this your maintenance caloric intake. You could call this your target number of calories. 
And then you have to understand, okay, so what does a, a waffle cost me as opposed to a chicken breast? You know, and when I ask people, it's like, okay, so how much, how much was the toilet paper that you bought? The, the, the two ply toilet paper that came in the six pack. They're like, it was like five bucks, right? I'm like, cool. Okay. So how much does a, a 100 gram banana cost your body? And then they're just like, what do you mean cost my body? Right. So I liken this a lot to entrepreneurs because they're very good with money. Mm-hmm. Well, some of them are very good. Some of them are good. Some <laughs> yeah. Of them are not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I liken this to saying that your body has this budget. And if you stay underneath this budget, right. And you hit whatever target that you're trying to hit in terms of like this budget, then guess what? You're going to lose weight or you're going to gain weight depending on what your goals are. And if you just stick within this budget, then you're good. If you do it with whole foods, then you're going to be flying. Uh, if you try to do it with processed foods, you're going to struggle a lot. You're going to make it a lot harder on yourself. So that's number one. That's kind of like beginner. Understand the cost of foods. Understand the, understand kind of like your budget and also just stick yourself to eating primarily whole foods. So level two would be understanding, okay, well, let's just say I want to be more flexible with my diet. Right. What, what should I do then? You know, if I want to be able to not track my food and not track my calories, right? What do I do then? Then it's understanding, uh, actually level two would be understanding more so the idea of intuitive eating, the idea of actually eating to fullness or understanding the difference between fullness and hunger. So fullness is how much food you should be taking in. Hunger is how soon should you be eating that food and understanding these things from a scale and really just trusting yourself on an intuitive level. How much food should I be taking in? And we have certain rules around this. One of them is to eat slow, right? To give yourself, to give your body enough time to digest this food. It takes about 20 minutes. The other thing would be to eat towards 80% fullness, right? So, you don't have to stuff yourself to where you feel like a 10 out of 10 of fullness. That's going to leave you bloated. That's going to leave you low energy. You're going to want to sit on the couch afterwards and take a nap. But you do want to get to about 80%, 70% maybe of where you have like a little bit left. Where And, it, and these are the things in which you have to understand that are attuned to actually being able to intuitively eat. So, you know, we, we lead people up these levels and, and in general, we take people wherever they're at and teach them from there. You know, obviously somebody could go to you and learn, but how does the average, you know, person learn about what their budget is? And I know there's, you know, as, as sciences move forward, people have different blood types and different things that, that will impact their body. Like what is the best way for somebody to fully understand what their body requires and what their budget is? There are very simple calculations out there. You know, you can find them on the internet. They're called macro calculators. You can find them on the internet. I, I have my own specific equation and uh, it would be a little bit, it would be a little bit complicated if I told you what, how we actually calculated it. But let's just say this, right? So your metabolic rate is dictated by a few things. Number one is it's dictated by uh, how tall you are. Uh, if you're like six, three or above, then guess what? You can, you can actually add an extra point, you know, to this equation, so to speak. If you're, if you're like, I think it's like as a male, I'm only talking from a male perspective right now. Females are a little bit different, but if you're a male and you're about like, I think five, seven and below, then you actually minus a point. So, so 
So height is one of those things that is a determinant factor of how much or how much your body will actually burn or your metabolic rate. Okay. When I say metabolic rate, it's essentially what I'm talking about with your budget, right? It's like just you have this uh, resting metabolic rate and essentially all these things are going to dictate what this rate is. So the other thing is the other one that determines it is going to be body fat. So this is a little hard for people to estimate. I always tell my clients and, and I, I deal with entrepreneurs and they can usually afford to take this test. It's about $75 to a hundred bucks to take this test called a DEXA scan. And a DEXA scan is like, it's like getting your business audited by a high level accountant. You will know exactly how much income and how much profit you're making to the T, right? The DEXA scan is the most accurate representation of how much body fat and how much muscle you have. And it also has these really cool calculations as well, like Android to Gynoid ratio. And it, it, it's just like the most, it's like, it's like getting an income, it's like getting an income statement for your body, right? So once we know like how much body fat they have, they use the DEXA scan to actually track this then that determines our metabolic rate to a certain extent. And the next thing would be how much muscle you got, right? If you're, if you're a well-muscled individual, then again, you're going to be increasing the metabolic rate. If you're like a skinny fat, you have nil muscle on you, then again, uh, that is going to, that is going to be a sub or that is going to be mine from your metabolic rate. And one of the things that we like to use is something called a fat-free index to determine how much muscle you have on your body. And the other things are how many steps a day that you get. The other determinants are your age. And we take all these factors in, and then that's how we calculate one's uh, maintenance level calories that they should be eating on a regular basis to just keep their bodies exactly where they're at. Now, in terms of like if they want to lose weight, we, we actually determine this based on, again, a number of factors. Usually like the the gold standard would be like minus 500 calories from your diet or from the maintenance to get to where you should be in terms of losing weight. And uh, for everyone who's listening to this, it takes about 3,000 calories to be burned in order for you to lose a pound of fat. Is that accurate? Probably not accurate. Your body's not like the most exact calculator on the planet, but it's a good kind of, it's a good heuristic to follow to, to understand like, okay, well, if I'm not losing that, that much weight on a day by day basis. Just understand like it depends on how much of a deficit that you're at. So I would tell clients this, you minus about 500 calories from your diet and that's done uh, for six days straight. And guess what? You're going to lose a pound of fat. That's just the way it is. Right. And usually it happens. Usually they lose a little bit more than that. If someone is actually a little bit higher when it comes to their fat rate or when it comes to their body fat percentage, we actually get a little bit more generous with the deficit. Because one, uh, it's going to help enhance the fat burning effect. And because they have so much fat on their body, it will help the process and it won't hurt necessarily their, uh, their ability to lose, to actually uh, keep their muscle, if not gain it. And, and we would be a little bit more generous. So if anyone's between, let's just say if it's a guy who's like 30 years old, if he's between, let's just say 27 to like over well, I'll, yeah, we'll say over 30% body fat. That's when we get a little bit more generous with the, uh, with the actual, uh, deficit, as we would say.
Yeah, it's not that simple to find someone's rate, but then even though, even though I gave you something that's kind of complicated, you can literally go on Google. I think it's like IISYM, which is called, if it fits your macros, you can go on their IISYM.com. You can check their macro calculator and they can do have like a baseline calculation for you based on which. Um, you had mentioned, um, you know, somebody on Twitter said that water doesn't hydrate you. What are some of the kind of biggest misconceptions that you see about health that candidly from your perspective just aren't true, but that, you know, the common American or the common citizen kind of believes is true every day uh, that's just not? Yeah. Let's take actually two of the most, let's take two of the most popular diets that are out there right now which is the keto diet and intermittent fasting. So the biggest misconception that I see with other people is the fact that they feel like they have to remove carbs from their diet in order to lose weight. And uh, evidence has actually showed us that you don't need to be in ketosis to lose weight. All you're doing is just removing calories from your diet in order to lose weight. And I actually just had a client, I was just talking to him on text message, and he literally texted me back. He's like, I have regained a positive relationship with carbs because of our process together, because of what we're doing together. Because his whole thing was every time he put in a carb in his mouth, he thought he was going to get fat. And that, and, and what the keto diet has done, you know, we're starting to see some, some beneficial health results as a, as a form of following the keto diet. But when it comes to fat loss, when it comes to muscle gain, you don't need to do it, right? So. What I found with the keto diet is just that it makes people fear carbs. And carbs have been around since prehistoric days. Fruits have been around since prehistoric days. So when people start to try to vilify, say, carbohydrates, or when they start to vilify, try like fruits, for that example, what they're doing is they're creating fear around these food groups. It is not necessarily the food group that matters in terms of like what's going to make you fat or whatever, it is actually going to be the amount that you are taking in that is going to matter the most. So the other thing that the other diet that's out there is called is intermittent fasting, right? Everyone's like, they're doing three day fast. They're doing four day fast. They're doing 16, eight and all this kind of jazz. When the reality is, is that it's just another way of just preventing calories from going into your body. So with intermittent fasting, everyone's like, oh, you're going to boost GH, you're going to build muscle or whatever. We actually know that you need multiple feedings of, uh, of protein every single day in order to actually build muscle. So intermittent fasting may be good because it helps you prevent calories, but it's not really great when you're trying to build muscle. And the thing is, when we're talking about metabolic rate, right, if you're not building muscle, if you're not building lean mass, then you're met even though you drop body fat, Let's just say you lose a little bit of lean muscle, which happens, or lean tissue, which happens when you're on a deficit. What's going to happen is, is your metabolic rate is actually going to go down, right? So when people lose weight, they think they're, they're supposed to be like burning faster, when the reality is because of the way that they set up their diet, they actually end up shooting themselves in the foot. So even with my clients, you know, everyone says like, you don't need to eat breakfast. Breakfast is not the most important meal of the day. And I, you know, I agree with you. You can skip breakfast if you want. But when it comes to gaining muscle, you're not necessarily going to be doing yourself any favors. So we actually get our clients to eat a light, high-protein breakfast. 
you know, first thing in the morning. And we have, we almost have them on four, three, pretty much like four feedings of proteins per day. And with the DEXA scans that we have done, with the DEXA scans that we have actually kind of, that have come back to us, we've seen by putting people on diets that actually help facilitate more protein or more protein synthesis, what happens as a result is they actually find that they're gaining lean tissue or gaining lean body mass while they're losing and burning body fat. And in the whole aspect of like fitness, this is the holy grail, right? This is like literally gaining lean muscle, you're dropping body fat, and what we found with their resting metabolic rate, because uh, all these extra scans, they actually do a calculation on their metabolic rate. So they gain on their metabolic rate. This is like compound interest. So we actually just had this client who gained back 66 calories. Uh, we did a 12-week program. He gained back 66 calories a day back to his resting metabolic rate. And what that means is, is like, think of like if you had a budget of about, let's just say like $2,000 per day, right? You're balling, you're going crazy, you're doing great, you know? And, and then lo and behold, you get $66 more to play with just because you, you took care of yourself. It's, it's, and then that compounds on top of each other, right? So 66 multiplied by 365, how many calories is that? that that's, the old, that's the whole essence of like compound, of compounding when it comes to the fitness angle. So we want to make sure that we help clients build muscle and we help clients drop body fat and we do these two things in regards to the, the, the diets that we put them on and we don't, we don't comply to any diet. We don't comply to any, well, we comply to what diet actually fits our client. We don't comply to any keto diet. We don't comply to any intermittent fasting diet. We comply to what is going to make them healthier and what's going to fit their lifestyles and what's going to help them achieve that holy grail. So those are two of like the biggest things that are happening right now. And uh, I could talk about like, you don't have to eat five meals a day and all this kind of stuff. But now is the time that people are getting way too ensconced in keto diet, intermittent fasting. They feel like it's like the end all be all. When in reality, these are just like really simple ways to remove calories from your body. What does fat do to the body? I know there's different types of fat, but let's just take someone that's, you know, pretty overweight, 30, 40% body fat. What's that fat doing to their body? And obviously, how does that impact their mental state and their ability to work? Well, if someone, okay, so from a very simple angle, right? It's like if someone's carrying about 30, 40 pounds of extra fat, and, I, and when we say this, you know, what exactly do we mean? I, I always liken it back to, what were they weighing back in high school and college? You know, you, you already went through puberty. You already got past, you know, that stage of puberty and whatnot. So what did you weigh back then? So that, that to me is kind of like a normal representation of how much you should generally weigh on a regular basis, right? So a lot of times when I talk to clients, they're like 30, 40 pounds above where they were, like let's just say in high school and college, right? So that's kind of like a determiner. So from a very simple angle, that person is carrying a 30, 40 pound weight vest on themselves every single day. That is going to break down. That is just going to make you more tired in general. It's like, hey, if I strapped on a 30, 40 pound weight vest on you, guess what's going to happen? You're going to, guess what's going to happen if you do that 365 days for five years? You're going to be tired. You're going to be moody. 
you're not going to like, you're not going to love life as much as you think you do. You're, you're basically going to be, you're, you're walking around with a weight around your body. And that's, that weight is, that weight is heavy. 30 or 40 pounds is heavy. Try carrying that on like a farmer's walk. It's, it's actually, it's, it's a fairly big weight. It's a fairly good size weight. Let's just say that. So just in general, when they're carrying a, a 30, 40 pound weight vest on them, and it is all, let's just say fat, not necessarily muscle, that is going to make you extremely tired. And then what happens when you're extremely tired on an everyday basis, that's going to affect your mood. If it affects your mood, you're going to react to things in an emotional way. You're going to react to things with not as much calm as you would like to because you're just tired all the time. So that is number one. You know, from a very simple angle, you're carrying around more weight than you, your body would like, and this is affecting you, and that, that is number one. The so number two is I like to talk, I want to talk from more of a health angle, right? And then in general, it's like these things are happening to your health and they're also going to be happening to your brain as well. So when you have a abnormal amount of weight or weight in the terms of fat on your body, it affects your organs. A lot of times, especially with guys, especially with guys, they carry the weight in their, what we call their android region. And android is essentially the bottom of your neck all the way down to the, all the way down to your waistline. It's what we call the beer gut, it's what we call the man boobs, right? So when you, when you carry fat in this area, what it's doing is it's actually putting pressure on your organs. And there's this thing called visceral adipose tissue, call it that. And we can see this on, um, we can actually see this on sexist scan. And what this fat is, it's actually the most active fat in the whole body. This is the most dangerous fat that is out there. It's actually prevalent in the most preventable diseases out there, right? So when we're talking about preventable diseases, we're talking about, you know, type 2 diabetes. We're talking about some forms of cancer. And the thing is, is that visceral fat is like body fat that's stored within the abdominal cavity and is therefore stored around a number of important internal organs like the liver, the pancreas, and the intestine. And visceral fat is actually sometimes referred to as active fat because this research has actually shown that it plays a very distinctive and very dangerous role in affecting how our hormones function. So when people have a high amount of body fat, what this does is it actually drops down their testosterone levels. And I'm talking from a guy's angle, especially. So when you carry a high amount of visceral fat, it's going to be associated with things like insulin resistance, which can actually lead to glucose intolerance, which can lead to, which can actually have uh, an effect on type 2 diabetes. And the health risks that are actually associated with this are cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, and cancer, right? So in general, when people carry an abnormal around, uh, amount of body fat, especially around that gut area, it is almost toxic when you have too much. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being with having fat on your body, but there is something wrong with having too much fat on your body, as there is something wrong with having too little body fat on your body, right? So when you have too much of this stuff, you're just putting yourself in a very bad position. And yeah, like I said, the way it affects your brain is, number one, is that you feel like you are tired all the time. And if you're feeling like you're tired all the time, your brain has one more thing to, to figure out. And it's not going to be working as, as much as you want it to work. You're not going to be working as efficiently as you want it to work. And we can get into the fact that, you know, how exactly does lack of exercise uh, affect the brain? Because our bodies and, our, and being humans, we're actually meant to move. 
We're actually meant to move consistently. We're actually meant to work and move and use our hands and use our feet. But what's happening right now is we're sitting down for long periods of time. We're not moving. Our posture is actually starting to, starting to erode. So these things are having a direct effect on how our brains function because our brains need our bodies to move for it to, to actually work efficiently. So it's almost like a whole smorgasbord of things happening to, you know, of things happening that is both affecting people from a health perspective and from a brain perspective. What's the ideal amount of body fat? Is that again a person by person thing? It's actually dependent upon a number of factors. One of the most uh, important ones are going to be uh, just your age in general, right? So if you are at, uh, let me just see if I can actually find this right here. So if you're at like certain ages right now, you can actually, let's just say if you're like 19 to 20, then being at an average of around anywhere between 20 to 25% body fat is going to make sure that you are not going to mess yourself up. You're just the average, right? So in men, in men right here. So if we're, if we're looking at, let's say 40 to 49, to be in like, let's just say the average percentile, you want to have your body fat within like say 24 to 27%. If you want to be kind of like more, you know, better than average, then you want it to be 20 to 24. If you want to be above average and you want it to be under 20%. And let's just say like you're 30 to 39, then you want it to be anywhere between, let's just say average is 22 to 26%. The a little bit above average would be 18 to 22%. And above average, way above average would be under 19 or under 18%. And for people who are like 20 to 29, then you want it to be like to be an average. You, have, you want it to be at 20 to 24 percent. If you want to be a little bit above average, at 16 to 20 percent. You want to be way above average, at under 16 percent. Got it. Is being fat or having excessive fat is it genetic? Uh, is that a misnomer, or can some people just not burn fat like other people can? You know, genetics plays a significant factor in how people's bodies retain fat. So let's just say this, like I wasn't born with the greatest genetics. So what happens is, is that when I start to gain fat, I start to gain fat in my stomach area. You know, it sucks, but it just is what it is. You know, for me, if I wanted to get like six pack abs and get shredded, then I'd have to bring my body down to about, I'd say about 8% body fat, you know, for me to actually start seeing shredded abs. Now, Another person, let's just say they gain more. I actually know this. Uh, I know this because I've seen my friend's sex scan. So this guy, uh, uh, this guy Greg O'Gallagher, he's a he's a friend of mine. So he actually gained most of his fat in his legs, right? He has a genetic disposition to gain most of his body fat in his legs. So for him to actually see, to for him to be shredded, you know, for him to see a six pack ass, you know, he can take his body down to what, 11%, maybe even 12%. And his legs, like this is actually the reason why a lot of uh, a lot of guys who are like shredded, you know, they don't necessarily like to do too many leg exercises because it makes your legs too much, makes your legs bigger because of because of the amount of fat that they have on it. So some people don't like to do squats and deadlifts because it makes their legs too big. They're not able to wear their skinny jeans, right? So like the, the where the fat is displaced, that is going to be the genetic factor but what I find with most genetics is that it is like a lot of times when people say, oh, that guy just has like great genetics. A lot of times what they're saying is that guy has great habits. So instead of genetics being passed down, 
the, the area in which you gain fat and how much muscle you um, and how much muscle you can build, that's actually genetic to a very large degree. But when people get super fat, a lot of times they're like, oh, just, oh, it's just bad genetics. You know, <laughs> oh, just got bad genetics. When the reality, <laughs> the reality of the situation is that no, you, they just have really crappy habits. And then these habits are actually passed down from generation to generation. So if they've seen like their parents, uh, you know, have to eat a candy bar after dinner or whatever it is, or have to like stuff their face after they get home from work uh, with like processed foods and just like chips and whatnot, that gets passed down to their kids. Right. If they, if they see their parents sitting on Netflix, sitting down and watching Netflix all day and doing all this kind of stuff, that guess what? That is going to have an impression on them. They are going to follow suit. So my whole thing is that genetics do matter, but they don't matter as much as people make them out to be. They matter more so of where you actually place the fat, how much muscle you gain to a certain degree. But in reality, a lot of people use it as an excuse to not necessarily go do the work because they, you know, quote unquote, lack the good genetics. Yep. Okay. Kind of the hot, the hot topic founders, people in business tend to entertain and, uh, you know, alcohol can be brought into the mix. What does alcohol do to the body? And, you know, every trainer I've ever worked with, always says, you know, you can work out all day, but if you go drink tonight, you're, you're basically giving it all back. What, what do you think about around alcohol? Well, I, I don't want to demonify alcohol whatsoever. In terms of benefits, are there any benefits to drinking alcohol? One of them is social lubrication. Yep. Yeah, you just have more fun with your friends <laughs> and you just like shoot the shit, you know? Um, that is probably like the biggest benefit to alcohol. When it comes to fat loss, what happens is, is that um, when you drink alcohol, what happens is that because alcohol is like not necessarily, it, it's a macronutrient, but not one in your traditional sense. It's hard. I don't want to say this, but I'm going to say it. It's like your body treats alcohol like a toxin when it enters the body in terms of fat burning from a fat burning perspective. So what it does is it actually, it actually prioritizes burning off the calories that you gained or that you took in with alcohol as opposed to the calories that you gained from the foods that you ate. It will prioritize the alcohol first. So if someone had like a, a bender and they just had like 12 beers or whatever it is. Guess what? Like your body's going to want to remove the alcohol first before it starts removing the rest of the food that you may have taken in during that night. So that's the reason why a lot of trainers would say that. That's the reason why they say, okay, well, if you take, if you, if you get drunk, then guess what? Like you're basically like screwing up the gains that you had inside the gym and inside of like the, the diet essentially. So, I mean, like, but the thing about alcohol is, is that it's just something that people do. So one of the things I love to do with my own clients is to say, hey, let's, let's set a standard. Let's make some, let's, what is the adult choice for us, right? Like, you know, you're going to drink alcohol. You know, you're not going to get away from it. You know, it's going to be somewhat of a part of your life. If you wanted to, you could get rid of it. It would be like a, it would be a fantastic thing that you would do for your body. You don't, you know, again, alcohol only has the benefit of really just like socially lubricating yourself. Sure, you could talk about wine and the polyethanols and all that kind of stuff. But generally, like people drink alcohol because they want to de-stress, right? So what they don't realize is that alcohol actually increases stress and increases anxiety you know, because it's not necessarily the healthiest thing for your body. But I say this to clients all the time. Like, what is the, what is the adult choice for yourself if you don't want to necessarily get rid of alcohol? Is it having like maybe one to two drinks maybe every single week? 
for some people, it's like, well, can I have like one drink every single day? Well, if you feel like that's the adult choice. And I, I like to ask him like this. It's like, okay, what would you like your, what would you like your kids to do when they're your age? You know, what, what, what exactly do you think would be the most adult choice for them to make in regards to drinking alcohol? Right. And I say adult because a lot of times, like when we're dealing with people, it's just like we're dealing with just like bigger kids. You know, they're really adults when it comes to their, their professions. But when it comes to like themselves, it's they're re- like, we have to deli and we have to almost like understand what is a childish decision and what's an adult decision. So we always ask them, okay, so when it comes to your kids, how would you want them acting on an everyday basis? Would you want them drinking every day? You know, even if it's like two glasses of wine and usually they say, ah, it's like, you know, well, if you keep yourself to like one or two drinks per week and guess what? That's fine. You know, that's moderate. That's balanced. That's awesome. Now, there is something to be said about like the choice, like the reason why people do alcohol is because they want to de-stress. But the truth is, is that when they take an alcohol, they're amplifying cortisol, they're making themselves a little bit more stressed, right? So I always say like, look for different ways in which to release the stress that's in your body, whether that's through physical means, or whether that's through substitution limits, whatever it is. I, I prefer physical because it's always better that way. But, uh, but understand why you're drinking alcohol. That's probably the best thing. Be aware. And then make the changes that you have to make. And and one more question on that, because you, you, you'll typically find a lot of people that they might not drink during the week or – you know, they, they, they don't drink most days and then they, they load it all into one fun night and, you know, really get after it. How long does it take the body to recover? Let's just say from a night where you've had maybe five or 10 drinks and you've kind of really let loose. Does it take the body? Again, I've heard rumors. It could take the body up to a week or two to recover from one like big night. How do you think about that? From my experience, it usually takes about one week for the body to go back to normal. Got it. Right. So what, what's going to happen is, is that this guy's going to go on a bender and then he steps on the scale the next day and he may actually come out lower than he was before. Right. He may yeah. actually come out like steps on the scale and because he's dehydrated, he's like, Oh God, dude, like drinking alcohol is bomb, man. This is awesome. I'm like <laughs> two pounds down. And then he steps on the scale and he, ha- and he gets back to like eating and he steps on the scale the next day and he starts to steadily see the weight creep back up. Right. And in general, I've heard, I've heard anywhere between like 24 to actually I heard about 48 hours for when the body actually removes the amount of alcohol that it takes inside your body. Remember, think about the amount of grams that you're taking in with alcohol, the amount of calories that you're taking in with alcohol. Uh, liken that to the 3000 calories that we said that it takes about 3000 calories for you to burn off a pound of fat. You're not going to be burning off a pound of fat until these alcohol calories leave your body. So how many calories did you take in with alcohol? That stuff has to be removed for you to start burning fat again. And it could be anywhere between 48 hours to like a week. Got it. Okay. Most, you know, high performers, they've got, they've got busy days. What's the best time for somebody to get their workout in? Is there, is there a a certain cutoff that you recommend don't work out after this time? If you want to sleep well, like what do you tell your clients on how to schedule workouts? I actually love to have my clients work out as much as possible first thing in the morning. Although like the best time to work out based on kind of like your circadian rhythms and based on how you like to live life is going to be in the early afternoon. If you could do it in the early afternoon, then great. But I find with a lot of my clients, they don't necessarily have that type of freedom. So 
I, I say whenever you can get the workout done, that's when you that's when you should actually do the workout. But also, you want to do it as almost like a routine or a ritual. You don't want to be like working out at 5 p.m. and then working out at 5 a.m. and then kind of a mix and match at times. You're like your body loves to be on routine when it comes to physical activity. So whatever time that you choose that is convenient for you, you're going to stick to it, right? You're, you want to stick to it. But for me, I love to put clients on first thing in the morning, working out their bodies, because what that does is that actually turns the brains on. Exercise just turns your brain on. It makes you more creative. It makes you more productive. That's why I actually like to put the workouts first thing in the morning. And when they do the workouts first thing in the morning, guess what? The brains are on fire for at least like a good four to six hours after that workout is done. Now, if they had to work out at night, I always like to say, give yourself about three to four hours before you go to sleep to get that workout done. Not to get it started, but to get that workout done. Because your body, like when you work out, it's almost like you are pumping adrenaline into your bloodstream. Because anytime you're putting yourself under like a heavy weight or anytime you're doing like a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class or if it's like going on the run, guess what? You are amplifying adrenaline and cortisol in your body. And generally, we want to like take this stuff away. We want to de-stress you. We want to kind of make you as chill as possible before you go to sleep. So I'd say you got to end your workout at least three to four hours before you go to sleep, if not even sooner than that. Got it. Is there anything that you, um, maybe not a workout, but is there anything you recommend your clients do before bed? Maybe like a shake or something to drink or eat before they go to sleep uh, that might help the body kind of heal and do better during their sleep time? Yeah. Well, the most basic thing is make sure you go to bed early uh, at, a, at a time that's going to give you at least eight hours total in bed by the time you end up waking up, right? So go to bed at, a, at the same time and do that every single day. Try to make that as much of a routine as possible to give yourself eight hours of sleep. That's the most basic thing. When I want to amplify my client's sleep and I want to make it better, there's a number of things that we do around that. Number one is making sure that we have a sleep routine ready. So that could be turning down, making sure, actually, let's talk about the principles first. It's like, make sure you have blackout shades. And if you can't have blackout shades, or even if you have blackout shades, put on like an eye mask in order to remove as much light from going into your eyes as much as possible. That's number one. Number two is have a really cool room. And really cool room, like, for Fahrenheit, it could be anywhere between 70 to 69. For Celsius, it could be anywhere between 20 to 21. But in general, you want to have a fairly cool room in order to enhance greater sleep. The other thing is that we get our clients to do is uh, most of the times they can't get away from looking at screens the entire time. It's just, it's just, they can't. So what we do is we say, hey, just stop doing screens at least 30 minutes to one hour before you go to sleep. Okay, let's just do that. You know, make it very simple for them. And the rest of the time, after dinner, you're going to put on these blue light blockers, which are going to block this blue light from going into your eyes and making you feel like you can't go to sleep, essentially. So anytime you're looking at the looking at your phone, it's almost like you're looking at... I, I always liken it to looking at the sun before you go to sleep, which is not necessarily happening, but it's a good kind of like example. It's like you're basically saying, hey, when I'm looking at this light, I am essentially telling my body that it is not time to go to bed because the blue light essentially trains your eyes. And then this has an effect on your circadian rhythm. So we actually put these things called blue light blockers on them to block the blue light and 
whenever I get a client to do this, literally whenever I get a client to do this, they end up going to sleep earlier as a result because because they're not taking in that blue light. The bodies are actually going towards their natural circadian rhythms of eating, or right? natural circadian rhythms of sleeping. I remember I put my client on uh, blue light blockers. I had him put him on at 7 p.m. He usually goes to bed at like 12 a.m. And then he's like, Dan, I'm sleeping at 10 and I'm waking up at 6 and I don't even know what to do with myself anymore. <laughs> and I'm just like, dude, that's, that's how your body actually likes, that's how your body's actually processed. That's how, that's how it likes to live. So that's one of the things that we do. And actually, it's one of the last, there's two last things that we love to do. One of them is, uh, one of the things that we want to do is we want to turn our brains off as much as possible before we go to sleep. Because the more that you think before you go to sleep, the more you're going to keep yourself up. So we do one of two things. One of them is we have them drink a chamomile tea. And this is going to be maybe done like one hour before they intend to go to bed. And what the chamomile tea does, and it has like this, it almost has like this agent in it that uh, is anti-anxiolytic. So what it does is it actually helps turn your brain off. It actually helps relax your brain. So a lot of times when people are like high stress and whatever, if we can drink like chamomile tea, it actually helps them kind of like reduce the anxiety just a little bit before they're going to bed. The next thing that we get them to do is we get them to read a fiction book. So when they start reading a fiction book, what happens is, is that they're not taking in information. They're actually reading a book that is giving them entertainment that has nothing to do with getting better, uh, working business, or doing anything. And it's just basically, I'm getting entertained by reading the words on the book. And usually after we get, <laughs> usually after we get someone to read like one chapter or even less than that, they're like, dude, I, I can't even keep my eyes open. You know, they're just, they're just like trying to go to sleep. And here's, a, here's a one, actually two other principles. Number one is try not to eat. Maybe like, you know, try to keep your last meal or not even try. Have like a hard fast. I, I don't want to say a hard fast, but have a hard stop of eating your meals three hours before you intend to go to sleep. And the other one would be, you know, not drinking alcohol at least three to four hours before you go to sleep, if not longer than that, because alcohol has, alcohol will raise your heart rate. It will actually make you a little bit more, it'll make you a little bit more jumpy in terms of like your, your nervous system. And we find that when people drink alcohol before they go to bed, what happens is, is that they may go to sleep early, but the quality of sleep actually goes down. They're waking up even more during the night and that affects their overall quality of sleep. Yep. When we were preparing for this, you had sent in a comment, and I'm and I might botch it a little bit, but I wanted to see if you could expand on it. You put uh, going to masterminds and seeing entrepreneurs that are obese. What did you mean by that? So, entrepreneurs to me are the mental athletes of our generation. When when you have a heavy thinker, that that actually helps someone burn off a lot of calories. I was actually talking to one of my clients who uh, he's getting a documentary made about one of his books. He was talking for like seven hours. He jumped on the scale after or the scale, you know, maybe like, I think it was like day afterwards and he dropped like two pounds, you know, just, just from having to talk and just from having to think and burning all those calories. So entrepreneurs are heavy mental athletes. But the thing is, is that they go too hard on the mental and not hard enough on the physical. And the thing is, is that the physical body is what's going to make their minds and make their decision making so much better. I mean, if we, were, if we were to actually say a founder, you know, someone who actually owns their business, they are getting paid to make decisions. They are getting paid to make good decisions. So your decision-making capability is not necessarily going to be that great 
if you're trying to battle the fact that you're wearing a 30, 40 pound weight vest on you this entire time, it's gonna, it's not gonna be great if you're not exercising on a regular basis. So I've, I've just seen entrepreneurs who have just neglected their bodies to the utmost degree. They've almost like traded, they've made this mutually exclusive agreement where it said, I can't have a healthy body if I have a successful business. My business takes up too much of my time, therefore I can't have a healthy body. When the reality is, is like a healthy body actually amplifies a very successful business. If you've been able to make a successful or a business successful with a unhealthy body, guess what's going to happen when you actually make your body healthy? You're going to amplify this business. You're going to make bigger decisions. You're going to make bigger moves. For me, every single time I see someone do, someone do that to themselves, because it is a choice, right? It is a choice of that, that they're making. It's again, it's making this mutually exclusive agreement that they don't have to make in life. They don't have to give up their health in order to have a better business. They don't have to give up their family in order to have a better business. These things work cohesively together. So it's almost like I see entrepreneurs and people who are just like crushing business at a high level. They're almost living with these limitations in their minds. These are self-limiting beliefs. Right. And it's almost like they, 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 they cater to the beliefs that, Oh, you know, you got to trade everything in order to have success in this business. You know, when, when the reality is, it's like, you can have it all, man. You can have a great body. You can have a successful business. You can have a very loving family. It's just a matter of thinking and belief. So when I see my friends having this mutually exclusive agreement with themselves, I'm like, screw this. No. Like, hey, you can have it all, and let me show you how, exactly how to do it. Yep. All right. Kind of last question on health, and then we'll ask some personal ones and, and bring it home. But in entrepreneurship, you've never kind of made it. Even every every kind of level, you think, I'm going to get my business here, and then I'm going to be satisfied, and, and you're not really satisfied. In health, if you do all these things, how do you know you're kind of like you're in a really good spot and you're no longer like climbing the mountain or are you always kind of climbing the mountain? Like, how do you define to your clients? Like, okay, we're now in a really great spot. This is kind of where you want to stay so that, you know, people don't get there and go, all right, I've made it. And that's when they start getting lazy or they just kind of never feel satisfied with where they get. How do your clients know they've, you know, they've hit their goals? Well, I look at, the body very much like I look at a business and I always ask my clients this, what do you think happens when you're trying to maintain a business? You know, when you say, Oh, I'm just going to maintain it. And they're always like, yeah, it's going to, it's going to implode. It is going to get worse. So I like to say that you are the CEO of your health and body. And as a CEO of your health and body, you should be looking to continually seek growth with this body and continually setting like the people think like the outcome is like losing a bunch of weight, right? When that is just like the first phase of getting yourself as healthy as humanly possible, right? There's so many things that you can do. And for some people, it's not necessarily about, you know, let's just say, let's just say like dropping the body fat or whatever. Sometimes people want to get back into certain things like playing beach volleyball, playing like some sort of sport, or I personally love, and I think that every single guy and even every single girl, every single whatever pronoun that you want to use, like every single person out there, they're always so focused on trying to lose weight. They're never focused on trying to build lean body mass, not trying to build muscle. 
no one ever gives themselves the chance to actually build muscle. And like I said before, this is compound interest for your body, right? It is literally compound interest. So like when you raise your lean body mass, what you're doing is you're adding more dollars to your bank account from a caloric angle, from a caloric perspective. So even like 66, we added maybe 66 calories in 12 weeks. Guess what could happen if we do a full year of this? How much more calories can you actually add back to your metabolism? So we always say this, constantly seek growth with your body, whether that's through, maybe you got more fat to lose, cool. Maybe you want to build some muscle, right? That's cool, right? Or maybe it's actually learning a skill. You know, for me, it's like learning how to surf. That's the next goal. That's my next frontier. It's actually about doing stuff with the body that you've created and pushing that forward. So some of my clients, like, they want to learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. My clients want to, want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, right? It's like start to seek these physical things to do with your body. And it doesn't have to be all about losing weight, gaining muscle, and all this kind of stuff. But seek constant growth based on what you feel is possible for yourself. And never stop seeking, never stop setting goals for your body. Never stop. Because when, when you start to try to maintain, guess what? You know, it, you're just going to set yourself back big time. One question on just kind of your take on where the fitness industry is. I mean, in a world with COVID, you saw gyms go down. You saw a lot of people start working at home. I know in your business, a lot of the things you're doing is digital. Just maybe a fun question on like, what is the future of fitness? Is it is it still people going to the gym or are you thinking about fitness now is how do you provide a great digital experience and give people the tools to do it, you know, from their their home? How are you thinking about things going forward? It's, it's both. It is going to be both. And uh, what people have realized uh, during COVID is that, number one is, is that if you don't, <laughs> at least from a guy who's a big, who loves working out, if you don't have a home gym, then you're very fragile. You're a very fragile individual. So gyms will never go out of style, but they will actually lose members as a result of COVID. Uh, and these members will probably create their own home gyms. And unfortunately, the way that things are being promoted in uh, society right now and with vaccines and everything, I have no problems with vaccines whatsoever. I think if you want to take it, you got to take it. But if you're, if you're taking a vaccine and you don't necessarily do anything to make your health better, which is not being promoted whatsoever, then guess what? You're always going to be seeking Band-Aid solutions for things that are actually foundational that you should be working on. So in terms of like the digital aspect of things, people have more gravitated toward, I don't necessarily think being taught or let's just say this, to not, they're going to do classes on Zoom and like all this kind of stuff. But I really think the opportunity is in coaching because I found with like my own, and maybe you found this as well. It's just like with my own clients and when it comes to coaching, when you, a lot of people don't need someone to sit there and watch them and count their reps. A lot of people just need to have a program, be held accountable to it, and be held accountable to like a few simple steps. So I feel like coaching is the next frontier. I feel like online coaching is the next frontier for this particular industry. And the thing with online coaching is it's like, it, it really is a simplification of the processes to make you as fit as possible. But what it does is also, it, it opens up the fact that you can actually have higher amounts of accountability. You know, when you're seeing a personal trainer, the personal trainer is not necessarily texting you 
And that is basically, you go see a personal trainer, you leave, you go see a personal trainer, you leave every single week, and they're like, how'd you do, how'd you do? The thing with online coaching is, is that it actually enables you to have a higher level of accountability. Uh, with me and my clients, we text each other all the time. Uh, we have them on calls. We have them on group calls. We have masterminds. And this is the way in which we actually have created this almost accountability framework. And I feel with online coaching, you can do this. Uh, with, with personal training and whatnot, you could do it, but I don't necessarily see it as like, you know, I don't necessarily see it as like the next big thing. Yep. Is there a book, uh, that you would recommend somebody, uh, if they read on, well, really anything, but health related, is there a good book out there that kind of, uh, explains health and the body and maybe even as it relates to entrepreneurship? Yeah, there's one that I really like, which is, uh, this, it's actually done by this guy named Martin Burkhoff. And what Martin does in the book is called the lean gains method. And what Martin does is he just simplifies the entire process of getting in shape. He gives you rules. He tells you the reason why these rules are happening. And he also provides enough evidence to back it up to say like, this is the reason why we are doing what we're doing. And he is very hyper on the evidence side, which I love. And I feel like the lean gains uh, method, it just simplifies the entire process, tells you how much food you should eat, tells you like how much protein you should set yourself at, tells you the reasons why, and also tells you like what you should be doing in terms of like your workout. Um, yeah, I would say like Martin Burton and the lean gains method is one of like the better books that I've read and it's very simple. It's actually very simple to, to kind of understand. Uh, that would probably be like the number one book. Cool. All right. Last question. If you had a billboard, on the busiest highway in the country, and you could put anything on that billboard for people that pass by every day to see, what would you what would you put on that billboard? I wish you asked me this question. I wish you'd send me this question so I could really think about it. <laughs> uh, if I were to put anything on the billboard, it would be this. Uh, and this, if, if you want to change your mood, move your body. And the reason I say this is maybe because I'm a little bit biased and I'm on Twitter and on Twitter, sometimes you are privy and open to just like people in their mood. Like a lot of times when people are angry and sad and whatever it all is, like all this kind of stuff is, it really is a factor of them either not moving their bodies or not or being underslept or, or just being out of shape. And they're not necessarily angry at anything else. It's just their mood. It's just their bodies that are affecting them and making them feel this way. So, you know, if people want to like people want to change their mood. Then go out, move your body, be physical, do something with it. I love it. All right, man. How can people uh, get in touch with you and your business? Awesome. Yeah. So I would actually say if you want to get more information like this and just uh, and kind of just interact with me, go on Twitter and that's at Fit Founder. And uh, if you want to work with me or if you want to do anything like that, then go to highperformancefounder.com. And uh, yeah, we have all our information on that website. Awesome. Dan, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. This was, this was fascinating. I took a lot from it. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it, man. Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating or write a quick review. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. 
Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.